The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Here we are. I hope your day's been all right. So for those who haven't been coming to these Thursday nights, um, I've been changing things up a little from the usual flow of events. Instead of sitting together first, I'll talk for a little while first um, and share some ideas and some reflections on practicing with emotions. And then we'll sit together and I'll offer some uh, pointers and guidance during the sit based on what I've shared. And then in the last part, um, we'll have some questions and discussion. So just a little recap of where we've been the last three weeks on mindfulness of emotions. I sort of talked about how universal our experience of emotions are as human beings. It's, it's part of how we're built, that we feel things. We're sensitive creatures, and so things affect us. And part of the way we're wired is to actually feel emotions in, re- in relation to things. And that they're there to help protect us, uh, to give us information about what's working or what's not working. You know, So when something's not working for us in some way, we tend to feel unpleasant emotions. It's a way of getting our attention, saying, hey, buddy, pay attention to this. You know, something's going on here you might need to look at. And if um, things are working out, our needs are getting met, we feel pleasant emotions. And that's a way of reinforcing uh, us to meet our needs. So we can just understand emotions from this sort of more biological or evolutionary perspective and this helps to take out just a little bit of the, uh, some of the judgment that can come in around emotions, that sense of like, why? Why do I feel this way? Or what's wrong with me? Or I feel too many emotions. I don't feel emotions enough. You know, all the ways we kind of personalize our emotional experience rather than simply seeing it as a part of being human um, and not a problem. And then uh, I, I, I've been sharing these, uh, these different steps that I've uh, kind of come up with as a way of explaining some of the teachings in Buddhism on emotions that um, we can talk about the ABCs, these four steps of ABC, and then today we'll talk about the S of emotions, and the A is for awareness and acceptance, simply learning to be aware of our emotions and accept them. It's like, okay, well, this is what's happening. This is how I feel, right? Uh, just noticing our emotions and being aware of them uh, goes a long way in having a more balanced and wise relationship with them, right? Just starting to include them in our awareness, in our life, in our practice. Naming emotions is a primary tool for strengthening our awareness, really being able to refine our ability to, to differentiate an emotion. What, what, what is this feeling, really? Do I have a name for it? The next thing is wanting to look at, am I balanced? This is the B, balance, which is about our relationship with our emotions. 
And this is something that a lot of the times we don't, uh, we don't think to notice with a lot of things in life. How am I relating to this? It's always just, well, this is just what's happening. This is just how I feel, right? Or this is this, this pain in my knee. We, we miss the part of, well, how am I with that? Do I like it? Do I not like it? Am I avoiding it? Am I afraid of it? Am I angry about it? Am I wallowing it? Wallowing in it? So particularly with emotions, our relationship with them is very important. Uh, whenever we um, react to an emotion, positively or negatively, uh, we resist it, we fight it, we judge it, or we kind of um, dive into it, sink in it, uh, we feed it, we give it more energy. And uh, with difficult emotions, this is particularly important to know that the way we're relating to the emotion is going to uh, have an effect on how intensely we experience it um, and how much we suffer from it. And ideally, we're aiming to have a relationship of balance where we're not suppressing or resisting or avoiding our emotions on one end of the extreme nor are we acting them out unconsciously, reacting to them, letting them run our lives on the other end of the the extreme. Instead, we're somewhere in the middle, just having the space to feel them, to allow them to be here, recognizing that there's nothing wrong with any emotion. It's just an experience. The The only problems that arise from emotions are when we can't handle them and we end up acting them out unconsciously. Sometimes emotions require us to take action, but we can do that from a place of awareness and choice, knowing that, okay, maybe I need, you know, maybe we're angry about something. We become aware of that. We look at how we're relating to it. We notice we're getting really worked up. We slow down. We step back. We get to find some more ground inside. And then we realize, you know, I think I need to say something or I think I need to do something. And then we take action from a place of strength and awareness and clarity rather than from a place of reactivity. So the emotion can still inform our decisions and our actions based on, but based on awareness rather than on reactivity. So there are many tools for finding balance in relation to an emotion, which, um, which we, we looked at at one of, a, one of these classes. Um, we'll talk about some more this evening. Um, once we find some semblance of balance in relation to an emotion, uh, sometimes it's there right away, the idea is that we're trying to create space to just feel them. And this is where the C comes in, which is for curiosity. Curiosity and care. Just be able to allow ourselves the space to have our emotional experience, to feel it just the way it is. To actually put down the story and experience the emotion in our body as sensation, as energy, as pleasant or unpleasant and to notice what's actually making it up, the thoughts, the stories, the images, the sensations, 
the meanings and perceptions, and really just to allow that experience to, uh, to be felt, to be known. And when we can do that, it sort of just comes and goes, like a wave. It arises, it's here, and then eventually it subsides. Have you ever felt an emotion that lasted forever? No. But that's, that's their... Um, that's, that's the deception of emotions, particularly strong ones, is that they feel like they're going to last forever. Even the positive ones. We're really happy, we feel great, and it seems like it's going to stay that way forever. Right? And then something changes, and all of a sudden it's like, oh no, what happened? Or we feel anxious about something, and all of a sudden it's like that's the whole world, and it's always going to be this way. So the more we practice with emotions in this way, noticing them, finding balance, and feeling them with curiosity, with care, we start to understand uh, something more universal about them, which is that they just come and go, that they change, just like the weather. One week it's raining, the next week it's sunny. One day it's cold, the next day it's hot. And so we start to be able to see our emotions more as changing weather systems, than as anything essential or permanent. So this is that's just a little recap of the last three weeks. So usually when I teach about emotions, um, this last part that we're going to look at today kind of gets squashed into the last five minutes or something or ten minutes because I've had to cover everything I just said for the whole and the whole, the whole, uh, whole evening or whole talk. So what is this S about? This S is for support. And this is particularly important with difficult emotions, with strong, difficult emotions. That sometimes those steps of being aware of it, doing our best to find balance and bringing curiosity, a sense of care to the experience of it, isn't enough. It's too strong, you know? It's like a really, really strong wave or a really strong current or, you know, a really intense storm. And it's just like your umbrella is not going to cut it. <laughs> you know, like it's too windy. There's too much rain. You, either you don't go out or you need some really good rain gear. We need certain support sometimes to deal with difficult emotions. Well, that's what I want to explore together tonight. Now, the trick here and the main... Uh, kind of insight around this is that you need to do the groundwork for having support before you're in the middle of that rainstorm. If you don't have good rain gear and it's hailing and windy and pouring outside, you're going to get wet. You know, <laughs> like The time to find the rain gear isn't in the middle of the rainstorm. right? You need to have it already. So it's the same with the kind of inner and outer support that we need to handle really strong, difficult, intense emotions. That we need to do the groundwork for developing those support systems whenever we can. So that they're there and available for us when we need them. I know it's like we live here in California You know, do you have what you need for an earthquake in your house? Do you have enough water, right? Do you have some candles? Do you have uh, 
enough food to last you for a few days, right? To, to be prepared in that way. So some of this around support is around being prepared. <clears throat> so the idea of having support is, is connected to this principle of balance. One of the key factors in meditation practice is balance, sometimes referred to as equanimity. That's, that's the term that we use. When we don't have equanimity, when we don't have any equanimity, we just keep reacting. Our, our patterns of fear or anger, aversion, or greed um, will, will be operating. And we won't have the kind of even-mindedness to be mindful of an experience, to feel and know it. So with a strong emotion, very difficult emotion, the next step is to actually remember that we can call upon support. So the first is actually taking the time in our life to develop um, a groundwork of support. And I'll, I'll talk about what I mean by that in a, in a few moments. But the next is just remembering that, that there is support available, right? How much, how, how much of the time do we even remember that we can reach out, that we can ask for help or support in certain ways? And we live in such a um, individualistic culture where, you know, for over a hundred years, there's been this uh, emphasis on self-reliance that uh, we forget that we're interdependent creatures, that we, we actually need one another to survive from our basic material physiological needs to more emotional relational needs you know we need human connection we need contact you know so even just right now just you know notice notice how it is to be sitting in this room with a handful of other people who are interested in understanding something about being alive That it's quiet here, and it's relatively peaceful. And there's something nourishing about that, at least for me. So just like seeing if you can, even just for a moment, just take in that sense that you're not alone. You might feel alone emotionally, or things you're going through in your life that are difficult, maybe. Or, but literally, you're not alone right now, right? And so, in some sense, we're never alone. We're never alone in some sense. Because of our interconnectedness. No, none of us. None of us would be here if it weren't for other people. 
you know, the people who raised us, who clothed us, who fed us, uh, and, and all of the many individuals in our society that are kind of, we're all supporting each other in different ways. So all this is, again, just pointed to that sense of recognizing um, what is your conditioning around um, uh, this very powerful gesture of reaching out. You know, is that something that comes easily to you? Whichever, whichever side of the table you're on, whether it's, hey, I could use some help, or hey, do you need some help? You know? Um, and ultimately, those distinctions are created, uh, are, uh, are, are false. Because when you think about it, how does it feel to help someone? How does it feel when you help someone? It feels really good, right? So there's a way in which to give is in itself to receive. Because it feels good for us to give. And if you turn that around for a second, you'll see that to receive is also to give. Because the other person gets to experience the joy of helping. You see that? What's what's interesting about this is that you know this this the formal part of this meditation practice is done silently with one's eyes closed or half closed you know sitting still it seems like a very solitary thing but actually it's founded upon a deep sense of relatedness and connect and connectedness. recognizing our um, our ties to humanity. So recognizing that, that um, there's the possibility of support. So what do I mean by this support? Well, I'm, I, I'm using that term in two ways, outer support and inner support. So outer support is the support of community, uh, good friends, and um, healthy activity, healthy, pleasurable activity. So when we are in distress, one of the uh, main things that helps us is human connection. Human connection. Actually talking to another human being um, who's safe, who's not threatening to us in some way, uh, regulates our nervous system. It actually helps to calm and regulate the nervous system, to have eye contact, uh, to speak, to engage socially. The key there is it was someone who's not threatening. If it's threatening, it's not regulating. It actually gets us more amped up. Um, so, you know, um, I have a, f- uh, a phone, a smartphone, and uh, in, the, in the little list of contacts, they have this favorites feature, right? You know? So um, I don't talk to everyone in that favorites list regularly. Some people I do, like my mom, my dad. I talk to them every week. 
Um, but in that favorites list are the people who, like, if I'm having a really hard time, I can call them. Even though I haven't talked to them for a year, I can call them, right? I, I know who they are. And uh, so, you know, just knowing for yourself, if you've just got one or two people in your life who you can talk to, that's huge. That's great. And then, you know, take care of those relationships because they're, they're there for kind of mutual support. The Buddha was very clear about the importance of um, wholesome, healthy friendship. It's actually a core part of the practice. The, the word in Pali is kalyanamita, or spiritual friendship. Uh, friendship with the beautiful is another translation of it. So there's a very famous uh, text in which um, the Buddha's um, attendant, Ananda, asks, asks, uh, says to him, you know, oh, it's so great. It, it seems like this, uh, these kinds of friends that we have in this practice are half of the whole path, half of this whole way of life. And the Buddha reprimands him and says, don't say that, Ananda. That's not true. It's the whole of this path. Spiritual friendship, wise friends, good friends. Yeah. And there are different ways. It's a, it's a beautiful teaching, and there are many ways to understand, understand that. Um, but in this context, you know, he's, I think he's pointing to the deep uh, need and relevance for connections with one another. It's, it's, through, our friend, it's through our friends that we come to the path, Right? How did, you, how did you end up here tonight? You knew someone, you had a teacher, or you picked up a book, which is another way that we're, we're touched by someone else, the voice of another person. Having community. So, you know, you have the good fortune of living close enough that you can come here on a Thursday evening. You know, so... Uh, Developing relationships in this community um, so that you have that support. Maybe there are other communities that you're a part of. Different cultural community, family community, livelihood community. Really just, just marking what those communities are. So the reason I'm taking the time to lay all this out is, again, because sometimes we don't recognize the support that's available to us. We forget, like the various circles of support we actually have. And if as you're listening, you're sitting there going, gosh, I don't have any of that, I don't have any friends, I don't have any community, you know, find some. You know, don't, rather than sinking there, actually use it as a place of going like, oh, okay, this is some place that I can kind of work on. You know, reach out, make friends with someone tonight, say hello to someone who looks nice. Come, come back and, and develop that sense of community. Uh, the other source of outer support that I want to mention are uh, any kind of physical activity um, that, uh, that's, that's pleasurable for you, that's healthy. And when I say physical activity, I don't, I don't mean only like exercise. I mean like 
drawing or knitting or playing music, anything that you're doing, any activity that's, that's wholesome, that's healthy, that brings you pleasure, is a source of support. Having a hobby, something that you can do, a, family, a close family member of mine is, has a lot of depression, and they exercise a lot. That's one of the things that helps, you know, to exercise a lot. They have a very strong relationship with that. It's something they can go back to when, when things are tough. So having an activity that you can do, or several, that are calming, enjoyable, centering, is, is a way of finding support inside when things are difficult. Right? So whether it's playing an instrument, doing some kind of exercise, having a craft, any, anything that's, uh, that brings you some kind of pleasure. That's healthy, healthy pleasure. Okay? Um, so these are external supports um, that we can take time to develop and that then we can lean upon when things are tough. And then there's, there's an art of being able to actually receive, to actually let it in. And this is where the external support, the outer support, starts to um, turn towards inner support. Right? Because anything that we're doing can only actually nourish and support us if we're able to receive it, if we're able to let it in. And this is an area that Uh, Ironically, a lot of us need practice in. Really allowing ourselves to feel and appreciate the good. To take in uh, healthy pleasure. You know, like when you go, if you go for a walk, it was beautiful today, if you go for a walk, to not just be kind of lost or driven, but to actually really appreciate and soak in the pleasure of the sun, of the air, of the sounds, of the movement, to let it nourish you. So, you know, if you do yoga, to not, to not just kind of go through the motions of it, but to really kind of breathe and take it into your cells, to soak it in. So this capacity to receive, to soak in pleasure, is, is a key for, for any of these supports. And this is what we'll be practicing some in the meditation tonight. So internal support is about cultivating wholesome states of mind. And these help to balance difficult, afflictive emotions strengthening the the wholesome qualities of our heart and our mind. And again, this is something that we have to do uh, continually outside of difficult experiences. The time to to learn loving-kindness meditation is not in the middle of a panic attack or when you're enraged. (laughs) You know, you've you've got to have the gear before the crisis hits. So there, um, there are three or four um, particular, uh, I'll name a whole bunch, but there are three or four that I want to focus on tonight. Um, so 
ways that we can develop this kind of inner support so that we have some place to nourish ourselves when things are really challenging. Um, one more thing I want to say about this. So there's, so there's that capacity to receive, right? That's one important factor. Um, when, we've stra- when we've strengthened any one of these uh, um, inner supports, like generosity, loving kindness, gratitude, virtue, contentment, any of these qualities of the heart, when we've strengthened them, it means that we can um, bring our attention there when we need to. It's like being able to change the channel. Right? So the movie of your life is proceeding and all of a sudden you find yourself in a really bad horror movie. <laughs> right? Something was like really, really hard is happening. To be able to, to kind of recognize like, oh, wait a minute, I think I need to change the channel for a little bit. I need a break here. Sometimes that changing the channel means picking up the guitar or going to a yoga class or calling your buddy and being like, hey, I'm struggling. You know, are you free? Can we go get a cup of tea? And getting some empathy relationally. Other times it means um, returning your attention to a wholesome state of mind, to gratitude, to kindness, to contentment, to virtue, to generosity, to patience. So... I think we may have done this experiment before here. Um, if not, let's let's. We'll do, if if so, we'll do it again. If not, you know, it'll be the first time. So, um, just for a moment, I want you to uh, go ahead and put your attention in your hands. You don't have to do anything special or move. Just feel the sensations in your hands. You don't even have to close your eyes. Just feel any sensations in your hands. Warmth tingling, heaviness, pulsing, whatever's there. Mm -hmm. Okay, now go ahead and uh, put your attention in your feet. Feel any sensations there. Again, maybe temperature, some texture, heaviness, tingling or pressure. Okay. Now, um... Put your attention in your spleen and just feel any sensations there. This is a trick question. How about your gallbladder? How about that? Why don't you try that one? Just feel the sensations in your gallbladder. No? Okay. So what am I trying to, what am I trying to point out here? Was there anyone who was unable to feel sensations in your hands or your feet? At least one of the two? No, you could all do that, right? Okay. Why could you do that so quickly and easily, but you couldn't feel your spleen or your gallbladder? What's the difference between those? It's harder to locate, for one thing. Why is it harder to locate, though? Not just that one's on the inside and one's on the outside. Why is it harder to locate? Yes. 
So that's one reason. You haven't studied them. Yeah. So just to be very simple about it, you use your hands and feet consciously every day, right? So if I asked you to feel um, another part of your body that you don't use all the time, it's much harder to do. Now, there are other differences, obviously, like the number of neurons. One's voluntary, one's involuntary, one's on the inside, one's on the outside. But you can feel your hands and feet at will. You know exactly where they are because you use them every day, right? So anytime you want to, you can feel them. Now, if I ask you to enter a state of gratitude or compassion or appreciating your good virtues, your good qualities, can you do that at will? Maybe, maybe one or two of them, hopefully. But that's possible. And the way there is by using them every day, touching those places every day, developing a relationship with them. And when you do that, then you will be able to, at will, put your mind there. Not just put your mind there, but let it stay there in a place of goodwill, in a place of gratitude, in a place of compassion. So this is the cultivation of the heart. And these are very, very tremendous supports for our life. It's an internal support for when things are difficult to be able to change the channel and rest our attention with something wholesome, uplifting, and really receive the, uh, the pleasure, the benefit, the healing potential of those places. And we need that support sometimes to balance the difficulty the hardships, the stress of life. So this is an area um, of cultivation for our practice. And again, it's something that we need to cultivate over time, Not, not just when we need it. When we cultivate it over time, then it will be there for us when we need it. So let me say just a few more words about um, some of these states, some of these inner supports, and then we'll practice together with it. A very important one is uh, virtue or ethics or a sense of character. Being able to uh, appreciate your own goodness. So one of the th- one of the um, kind of uh, turns of phrases in the suttas is that the greatest wealth is is the inner is inner wealth, the wealth of our own good deeds, our own ethical living, our own wisdom, our own heart that this is this is the true wealth the greatest wealth we can have why is that you know when when we when when we're living ethically with with our um our heart's values intact uh, how does that feel you know 
It's, uh, it's uplifting. And so this is why the foundation of the whole practice, the whole path, is living with integrity, living ethically. And part of that is, is, is learning from our mistakes. None of us are perfect. You know, we all make mistakes. We all do things that are unskillful because we're human, right? Where integrity and ethics comes in is, is that we have the intention to live in that way and that we're continually learning, that we're not making the same mistakes again and again. And then we can reflect on that. We can reflect on the good in ourselves. And to really just to even be able to appreciate anything that we've done that's wholesome, that's helpful, you know, that has integrity to it. To really be able to notice that and take it in. Another is gratitude. Gratitude and contentment. Different flavors, but they're related. Being able to appreciate what's already here. Yeah. One of my teachers likes to say, the, uh, the rarest human emotion is not bliss, it's contentment. And the Buddha said, there are two kinds of rare beings in this world. One who shows kindness and one who appreciates it and feels gratitude. There have been many, many studies that have been done demonstrating that uh, the, more, the more gratitude we feel, the happier we are. It's a very kind of surefire, easy way to get happier is to just focus on gratitude every day. You know, take five minutes Think about a few things you're grateful for and let it in. Really let yourself feel, receive, and experience that gratitude. Soak it in. Uh, the last that I'll mention is, is kindness, goodwill, loving kindness. Just that sense of warmth and care for oneself, for another person. This is a fundamental quality that we all possess as human beings. You know, you get an adult around a baby or a puppy or a kitten and just watch them melt, right? You see the kindness just come out. You see that warmth and that care. Oh, it's, it's, it's innate to us. It's natural to us. And it can be developed. The Dalai Lama said, if we all knew that we had within us the potential for love, we would certainly spend more time cultivating it. Right? It's there in us. Do we take the time to strengthen it? And this isn't some kind of sort of sappy new age thing. (laughs) It's like, how does it feel when you're kind? (laughs) How does it feel when you smile at someone? When you say, hey, how's it going? And you mean it. It feels good. 
And, and, and that kind of very simple healthy pleasure is available to us when we attend to it, when we strengthen it. So these are some of the supports that we can develop over time in our practice, in our lives, so that they're there for us to lean on when there's difficult emotions. Okay, so um, why don't we sit together for a little while and I'll offer some guidance on uh, just a few of these uh, different qualities to kind of uh, call them forth and then to um, strengthen and dwell in them. So if you need to shift around and settle in, please go ahead. So just feeling the body sitting, allowing yourself to be very simple, nothing to do, nowhere to go, just arriving feeling the body sitting on the earth. Connecting with the weight, heaviness of the body. And letting that begin to steady your awareness. So letting the mind rest in the body just as the body is resting on the chair or on the floor. Feeling the body sitting. Relaxing, relaxing the face. Letting the jaw relax. Letting the eyes Release. Releasing the shoulders and the neck. And taking some time to just feel the body sitting and breathing.
invite you now to just bring to mind anything that you're grateful for. Something that someone has done or said to contribute to you. Maybe a teacher or a mentor in your life. Parent, a friend, or a particular circumstance. Whatever that is, see if you can let it become very clear in your mind. Seeing a person's face or recalling the incident. If you can let yourself really take in and receive feeling of gratitude. Notice where you feel it. Is it in your heart, your face? Is it in your chest or all over? savoring and drinking in that feeling of gratitude. You can stay with this first person or thing Or if something else naturally comes up to appreciate, you can move on to that. Giving your full attention to taking in, feeling and fully receiving 
the experience of gratitude. The mind starts to wander, feeling the body sitting and breathing, coming back to that feeling of gratitude and the image or memory of whatever you're grateful for. So this is one kind of inner support that you can take time strengthening each day, even for just a minute or two. Letting that dissolve, coming back to feeling the body sitting. This next one might be challenging. It's not something we're accustomed to, but I'll invite you to try it to see what it's like. And this is appreciating our own goodness, recognizing and appreciating our sense of integrity or ethics. So this begins with some reflection on your own good qualities. Maybe you keep the five precepts, or at least you try. Remembering that. Maybe your livelihood is focused on helping others. You can bring that to mind. Maybe you've recently contributed or showed up for a friend or a family member.
anything that helps you to see and connect with your heart's own goodness. kind word, a simple act of generosity, your mind may throw up all kinds of yeah, but What about that? Just setting that aside for now and focusing instead on the good that is there. So again, in the same way you call that, recall that incident that intention or image to mind. And then let yourself receive how it feels. Resting your attention in your heart's own value. Taking time like this to notice and appreciate our own goodness helps to strengthen it. It gives us a firm foundation of inner strength and support. being able to trust and rely upon our own integrity. (laughs) And once more allowing that to dissolve, just letting that reflection go.
coming back to breathing, sitting quietly. last quality that will touch is this sense of kindness, warmth. with that sense of warmth can bring to mind the image of a good friend see their face their eyes Maybe you even sense their presence in your mind. And see them smiling. Allow a sense of warmth and care to flow naturally from your heart to theirs. full attention to that sense of care and friendliness. Some people find it helpful to use some simple phrases to connect with the sense of loving kindness. May you be happy and peaceful. May you be healthy. May you live with ease. Just choosing three or four very simple short phrases 
and directing them one at a time from your heart to theirs, connecting with that sense of just simple basic warmth. May you be happy and peaceful. May you be healthy. May you live with ease. For the last few minutes, you can stay with offering kindness to this person, or you can shift your attention to offering it to yourself. A very powerful and nourishing way to strengthen loving kindness. May I be safe and protected offering the phrases to yourself. Filling your being with loving thought. 
pervading your entire body with kindness. May you love yourself unconditionally, just as you are. So, there's just a few different options for you to explore. If one of those three different uh, meditations on gratitude, connecting with virtue, your goodness, or loving kindness works for you, I encourage you to do that every day. It can even just be for five minutes. But it's a way that you can strengthen this kind of uh, wholesome inner state as a support that will be there when you need it. So we have some time now for, uh, for questions or comments or discussion based on anything I've shared tonight uh, or the meditation. And, and maybe why don't we start with comments or questions related specifically to the topic for the evening. Um, and then if we run out, we'll can open it up to other questions about your practice. Hi. Um, when you were talking about the, or I don't know if it's Buddha or somebody who had said um, that the inner richesse, richesse intérieure, the inner you know, like gratitude and so forth, the um, to develop you know the the different virtues and 
positive attri attributes that develop um, versus the other types of richness like object possessions or so forth mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so another re I thought right away another reason that they are probably <laughs> makes us richer they're, they're, that's the real richness is that it's kind of bottomless as in they're endless or bottomless you can yeah. you have them and nobody really can take them away it's up yeah. to just develop them versus the other stuff is pretty impermanent or you know yes. can come and go yeah so just a little practicality yeah. <laughs> of that aspect yeah thank you very true did you have a, a question or something? No. Okay. Behind you. At the end, you mentioned, uh, or you stated, uh, right before you rang the chime. Mm -hmm. um, May you love yourself unconditionally just as you are. Thank you. Was that a suggestion for something for us to yeah. say to ourselves in that yeah. moment? Okay. Yeah. And it was my wish for you also. <laughs> Thank you. Both. I have a question on that. I haven't meditated in quite a while, so a just uh, maintaining a sense of awakeness or consciousness was a little difficult. Mm -hmm. But particularly when it came to that point, uh, it, that seemed a lot harder than wishing myself uh, safety mm -hmm. and being well. Mm-hmm. Half, why is that? Half, uh, what do you suggest one can do to practice on that? What was the first half? The first half is, why is that harder? Why is that harder? Uh -huh. this, yeah. yeah. Um, well, in one way, I don't really know, because I don't know you. Um, so it's kind of just a good investigation, I think, for you to say, well, why is that? Why don't I love myself unconditionally? You know, but I, I, I think that there's something common there in that many of us don't love ourselves <laughs> unconditionally. You know, we have self-judgment and self-blame and criticism or we're hard on ourselves. So I think we all carry a lot of conditioning around that that we've picked up <coughs> along the way. Um, and the, you know kind of the belief that the way to improve is by judging ourselves or beating ourselves up. So we think that to, if I love myself completely, then I wouldn't actually improve or I wouldn't, you know, uh, I wouldn't be kind, I would be selfish. There's kind of this way that, that self-love gets conflated with um, uh, apathy and uh, lack of... Uh, um, striving for uh, development. And I, I, I don't think that's the case necessarily. So that, that might, be, might be some of it. Um, the idea with the phrases is that they're meant to help us connect with the energy of love and kindness and, and warmth. Um, so there aren't, there's no set phrase or phrases that you have to use. There are traditional ones. May I be safe? May I be happy? May I be well? Uh, may I be at peace? Um, but you can you can find phrases that work for you. And generally, the instruction is to just choose a few phrases and then stick with them, rather than changing them all the time. Um, so, if that's a phrase that 
you're interested in, then I would just practice with it and just see, you know, stay with it. And you don't have to, the, the, the thing about loving kindness meditation is we don't always feel the feeling when we're doing it, far from that. But the idea is that we have the intention, is that we, we're aiming in that direction, and that's, that's where the power of the practice is. So you can have the intention to love yourself, even though it's not there. And just keep coming back to that intention and let that kind of um, unfold with the practice. Helpful. Yeah, okay, great. Yeah, I just had a comment about gratitude because, um, you know, I've always found um, the idea of thinking about what I'm grateful for either becomes too abstract or too repetitive. I'm always grateful for the Mm -hmm. sort of same things. And so to kind of connect that more to my actual daily experience, um, I had it suggested to me to do, uh, at least for some period of time, and maybe forever if it feels good, is to kind of do a a little recap at the end of the day Mm -hmm. of three good things. And they could be little things that happened during the day, something I did, something that happened to me, or just something that worked really well. Absolutely. And that sort of made gratitude real in yes. a sense and connected it to my actual daily yes. experience. And I've really loved doing that. I don't do it every single yes. day, but I love doing that. Great. Yeah. Thank you. I'm so glad. So glad you mentioned that. Yes, I've done the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. It can just be that I noticed the sunshine today and it was beautiful and I enjoyed that and we appreciate we feel grateful for that moment and it yeah. comes back and the you know the 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 mechanism of the practice of gratitude, like with any of these, is that we're consciously putting our mind in that state and then, and then staying there for a little while. And it's that process of recollecting the mind state and staying there that strengthens it, whether it's gratitude or kindness or generosity or appreciating our virtue and goodness. So with the uh, loving-kindness meditation, um, what do you recommend incorporating into your normal practice, like mm-hmm. five minutes in the beginning or five minutes at the end or, or separate meditations? Sure. Or Yeah. Um, uh, any of the above are, are fine, you know. Um, it's great to do and it's on its own, as a practice on its own. Um, have, you, have you done... Okay, so I would say if I would say um, if you haven't done it before, then just for five minutes at the beginning or the end is probably best. Um, you can do it as a practice in and of itself for forty-five minutes, an hour. You can do a whole retreats of loving kindness. Um, before doing that much, I would suggest getting some more instructions so that you're more familiar with it and understand how to do it more. But um, you can take what we did tonight and do that. It's great at the beginning of a meditation. You know, doing any one of these or even a combination of them for a few minutes at the beginning of every meditation is very powerful because it helps to brighten the mind and bring a sense of joy and happiness into the heart, which is very, very important for meditation, to have that sense of enjoyment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Just pass the mic over that way. Hold it like that. Um, I just realized, and it was kind of a distressing insight that um, how often when I meditate, I just simply forget to do loving kindness medication, mm. or I just don't e- even think about it. And the distressing part was the um, fact that I don't even consider it. Mm. And the other distress was that is actually very powerful. Mm. And um, yeah, I just realized that um, once you actually open the door for it, mm-hmm. like all these negative feelings just move out of the way. Mm. It's just like today I was very unsatisfied with a few things that I did or didn't do. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I, I let myself, or like I, I appreciated myself mm-hmm. for like, at, when you, the moment you said this unconditionally, I was like, duh, it's okay. <laughs> you know, it just looks like, mm. it was okay on like so many levels. Mm. And I, I think I have to remember to like incorporate this more. Great. On like, yeah out there and in here. Yeah. Wonderful. I'm very happy to hear that. Yeah. So why don't we maybe open it up now if there are other questions just generally also about your practice. So it could be on anything from tonight or more generally. Um, I've been doing metta meditation for a while and I find that two things happen. One is when I send the thoughts, I'm like sending them so hard <laughs> that I'm, I tense up. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be counterproductive. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I notice it, I relax. But mm-hmm. whenever I'm really into it, I notice mm-hmm. that I'm tense. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm wondering if you've heard that before. Mm-hmm. And then um, the second one is um, sometimes it feels automatic. Like I just keep on doing it over and over. Mm-hmm. Um, and I often forget in the middle of metta like who I'm sending the thoughts mm-hmm, to mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, yeah sure yeah. so um, it's an art it's an art and so um, you know there are refinements to it and um, the phrases are uh, are meant to help our, help keep our our attention connected with the energy and the feeling and the intention of of kindness. So um, it sounds like maybe you're focusing on the fr- on the thoughts on the phrases. Um, so you might try shifting your attention more to the heart center the actual area in the body and also the intention and let the phrases be a little bit softer in the mind like actually the volume of you know the volume of them be softer sometimes you can even simplify the phrases just to a word or two like safe happy well peaceful like that so you can play with play with that some it's also um, helpful. One of the reasons why when I lead guided meditations, I often um, 
suggest that people relax the jaw and the eyes and the neck, sometimes the hands, because those are places that tend to tense up while we're sitting when we, str- when we try too hard or we start thinking a lot. And if you get in the habit of starting your meditation by relaxing those areas and noticing them, you will find that during the meditation, you start to notice like, oh, I'm clenching my jaw, and then you relax it. Or, oh, my eyebrows are, and then you relax them. So in the same way, you might just check in from time to time with the muscles of the face, the head, the neck, the hands. And then sometimes just relaxing the muscles in those places relaxes the mind. Mm-hmm. Um, with the sense of it becoming automatic, um, the challenge is, or you know, the, the practice of loving kindness is one of bringing your heart's full attention to just each moment. So it's just to just saying one phrase completely, fully, and wholeheartedly. Just one phrase. And then just the next phrase. And so when you, you know, sometimes you, your mind wanders or the phrases get jumbled or no, that's fine. It's just you notice and then just come back. I have time for maybe one more. Okay. Well, I um, I really I want to say thanks to everyone for uh, for joining me. I know some of you have come for two or three or even all four of our sessions, and it's been great to share and uh, to get to see some of you each week and get to know you a little bit and uh, I hope it's been useful you know I hope that it's uh, something that you can really take with you and uh, work with and practice and particularly this um, uh, this kind of foundation of strengthening things that are supports for us it will it will serve you to no end if you can do it great so Sure. I just want to thank you because it's really, I've only been able to talk to two of them, but I've really found your teaching style and the content you've gone over really helpful and wonderful. Oh, great. And um, I don't know if people are aware that these, I mean, you're recording yep. them, yep. and sometimes I've gone back and listened to them again on the website, and that's really been helpful great. too because, you know, you get sort of a little great. bit more of a wonderful, you know, good, repeat. Great. Sinks in. Thank you. That's a